0: They are, they are bankrupt morally, financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually. I mean, every every way you can possibly think. It, it, it can't get any worse for Israel than where we pick up with them. And, and we find Gideon at the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat. And the reason he's doing that is because the, the enemy out there is called the Midianites. And the Bible says they're like a swarm of locusts. They just come in and just... Tear up the place, chew up all the food, eat all the food. There's nothing left. Steal it all. So he's hiding in this wine press, which is a little hole in the ground, um, threshing out wheat instead of out in the open, where the you know the wind takes the chaff and all that kind of stuff. He's hiding it so that the Midianites won't come and steal the food. And we find him. Um, and if you if you had one description of Gideon at this point, it would probably be that he just has an inferiority complex. I mean, he just doesn't think highly of himself, doesn't think there's much hope, but uh, but we watch, and it's just a classic story of how God takes really a nobody and uses him under some horrific odds to do his will and to do what he wants him to do, and um, I, I kind of take courage because I, I think there are times when, when I feel like Gideon, and uh, maybe you do too, and maybe as a church we can kind of identify with Gideon. That there's some, there's, there's some adverse circumstances and some troubling times, but that God not only can use each one of us, he, he can use this church to do something in a mighty way still in the Santan Valley. So let's, let's take a little uh, gander at Gideon. If you have your Bibles, the sixth chapter, starting in verse 11 in the book of Judges. Says this: The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abrazeite, where his, city, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I can't help but read that and go. They say Oprah, and, uh, and no, it's Ophrah. But if you know anything about Oprah, I think what I understand is. Her mom meant to name her Oprah, and it was a, made a mistake, and so it came out Oprah. But, but does that mean you're supposed to watch Oprah on TV? No. The Bible never says watch Oprah on TV. It, do, it does say ESPN will, will be a blessing, but, but Oprah not necessarily. But here the angel of the Lord comes and appears to Gideon, finds him at the, at the bottom of this wine press threshing wheat. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you mighty warrior. The Lord is with you mighty warrior. No. Gets the irony of that. Here he is hiding from the enemy at the bottom of the wine press, hoping no one will see him. The angel comes and says, "Hey mighty warrior, hey man of valour, the Lord is with you." And I'm sure Gideon's going like, uh, wrong address here, buddy." I mean, you keep looking around somewhere, but you this is not this is not the mighty warrior. This is this is Gideon. This is Gideon the chicken hearted. <laughs> this is the one cowering and hiding. You you've missed it. And we start to see as as God encounters and grabs a hold of Gideon that he that he has kind of this four step process that he uses. And the first one is that God often affirms us, he encourages us. He he wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us. Now, if you're like me, we you know we we grew up in the such a worm as I, theology, you know that, that I'm I'm no good. I'm, I'm horrible. There's no hope for me. It, I, I you know I, I stink. I'm and and indeed all all that. I mean we are sinners with without the redemption of Jesus Christ. But but we sometimes carry that and don't recognize and realize that once God gets a hold of us, that we're children of God. And that we have the potential in us to be the mighty warriors that He wants us to be to accomplish what He wants, and so He uses this affirmation, this encouragement. He doesn't point out Gideon, it's pretty bad. Look where you're at. You know, look how look how low you are, and look how weak you are, and look at the. Instead, He says, Gideon, catch a catch a view of this. You're a mighty warrior. Jesus did that. I mean, with His disciples, you look at Peter. Peter, you're uh, going to be called rock. People that know know Peter would go, yeah, Mister Impetuous, Mister Self Righteous, Mister Stick Your Foot in Your Mouth and Try to Walk and Talk. Yeah, Rock, You're the guy that we're going to build the church on. You're a Rock. Jesus, Jesus sees in Peter what others don't see. I mean, it's interesting to me that that Jesus didn't use the nickname Doubting Thomas for Thomas. We gave Thomas that that nickname. Jesus doesn't use that. He affirms us. He sees us differently than what we see ourselves, and he wants us to catch a view of who we can be in him. Get an an idea of how Gideon thinks in verse 13. He says this to the angel. But sir, after being called a mighty warrior, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. I've got circled in in my Bible these these little little words like if and why and where and but but sir but now if this why this where you ever find yourself asking those questions? This is getting going. You know, I, I I've heard about God being great and all these wonders, but. Mm, I sure don't experience it, don't feel it. In fact, let me just explain to you who I am as your mighty warrior that you're talking about. In verse 15, he says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. So let me just explain to you for a minute here, angel, because you're, you're at the wrong address. Ophrah literally means a place of dustiness. So you've gone to a city Called a place of dustiness. Every time I I think about that, I think of like Gila Bend. You know, if you're ever heading out and you stop and you know you have the outer space motel restaurant or whatever it is, or space age thing, and you're going they have a space age in like 1930. What you know, this place of dustiness. I'm from this place of dustiness, and my family is the weakest of all the tribes. You take the tribe of Manessa, they're not the greatest in the world, but my family is the weakest of all. So. Even if you got the right place, this place of dustiness, even if you got the right tribe, you got the wrong family. But even if you get the right family, let me just tell you this. I'm the least of my family. I'm in a place of dustiness, in the weakest family, in this tribe, and I'm the weakest of it all. And I'm the one you're going to use to save Israel? But what, if, where? And I love how the Lord answers back to him as he's explaining to him. The reason why he's hiding in this little little uh, wine press. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. The Lord says to Gideon this, I'm sending you. I'm going to be with you, and you will not fail. I'm sending you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And when you're doing my will, you will not fail. Now, does that kind of make you stand up a little bit more when you think about that? If God would come to you this morning and say, I'm sending you, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way, And I guarantee this, you will not fail. You will not fail. Can you see yourself maybe a little more like the mighty warrior? At least can you see yourself a little more than what you see yourself now? Can you start to see that God sees in you great potential, not necessarily because of who you are, but because of who he is and because of what he wants to do in you and through you. And to reach others by using you. It's a mighty war. Men and women of valor. Catch catch a hold of what God is doing, what he sees. He, he starts with encouraging us. Uh, the basketball finals are going on now. I don't know if any of you are basketball fans or not. Um, Cleveland and, and uh, the Golden State Warriors. And Cleveland's in trouble now because they've got blues in the app. But they still have LeBron, the king. King James. Um and uh, I, I was uh, I was reading a while back, and I vaguely remember, but it's brought to my remembrance. Is they're talking about Cleveland. They're talking about the, the comparison between LeBron and Michael, jo- uh, Michael Jordan. And uh, they were talking about a time when when Jordan scored sixty nine points against Cleveland. It was like nineteen ninety, March of nineteen ninety. Sixty nine points. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of baskets. And. Uh, Everybody was gathered after around him at the end of the game. They are all in the locker room, and the reporters were trying to get interviews with them, and it's such a big deal. And none of the other players meant anything. I mean, they, they they didn't they didn't have anybody trying to interview them. They didn't score sixty nine, and there was one guy named Stacy King who scored one point that night, one. And uh, and he was all by himself. He's about dressed. And finally, one reporter decided, I'm going to go over there and talk to this guy because I can't get in around the circle of, of MJ. to see what Stacy King has to say. So. He, He puts a microphone in his face and says, what do you think about tonight? And, uh, you know, you you scored a point, but Michael Jordan scored 69. Stacey King had this great retort. He said, I will forever remember this is the night that Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points together. (laughs) That's what God wants us to do and to see with him, that whatever we have, whatever we have to bring, that with him, it's bigger than that and and we can do more. So he, he encourages them. And then, and then he, he meets Gideon. The, the Lord has this face-to-face encounter with Gideon. If Continuing verse 17, Gideon replies, If, if now that I've found, I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. And by the way, he asked for a sign like three times. He talked about not real sure about what God's doing. Three times he asked for a sign. Uh, if it's really you talking, don't go away until I come back and I'm going to bring my offering and and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait until you return. So Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them all out and he offered them up to him under the oak. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth. And Gideon did so, and with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. I mean, poof, gone. Smoke alarm goes off. Angel of the Lord gone. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord's peace. To this day, it stands. It's the writing of this this word. He has has an encounter with God, the angel of the Lord, face to face. He sees a miracle, if you will, that's happening in front of him. And all, all of a sudden, something very interesting starts to happen. Here he is at the bottom of the wine press in a time of chaos. Enemies threatening the Midianites. Going to face the biggest battle of his life. Everything's falling apart. No more resources. The economy's bad. Money's gone. Barely able to eke out a living. Everybody's hiding and living in caves. But he has a face-to-face encounter with, with God, his angel. And the result is peace. Peace. The world's falling apart. Peace. His life's falling apart. Peace. Looks like he's going to be consumed. Peace. That's what a face-to-face encounter with God brings. Peace. In spite of everything. Now, what's interesting is he he started into the whole thing with religion. I'm going to give you an offering. I'm going to to offer this up to you. This is my religious, this is what we do. We we give you offerings and I'm going to sacrifice this offering before you. And the, the angel burnt it up and replaced the offering with the presence of God. Reminding Gideon, it's not about religion. It's not about just doing the same old stuff. It's about a relationship. That the God of heaven knows who you are. It wants to meet you face to face. And Gideon says, I, I've got to build an altar to this place. I, I've got to stack rock upon rock because I want to remember for the rest of my life I had a face-to-face encounter with God. That's what altars are all about in those days. Because back then, like today, we forget so often, don't we? We forget when God has done something. I want to be able to go back to that place and be reminded, I met God there. And the peace of God that passes all understanding became mine, no matter what the circumstances look like. In a few moments, as we when we close our service, we're going to have a little, little more extended time of worship. And I'm going to invite you, as as you always do, to go to various stations. Go to all of them, go to some of them. Whatever whatever you want to do. But when you go, go with a recognition that, that God wants to break through our religion. He wants to break through our, our going to church today. And he wants to meet us face to face. they he can give us peace. No matter what the circumstances look like. He he, he he encourages us. And then he wants to meet with us. And I believe he wants to meet with, with each of us. Even today. And then the interesting thing happens. He he tests Gideon. When you continue on after that face to face meeting. Verse 24. Gideon builds the altar. And then that same night in verse 25. The Lord said to him, take the second bowl from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole beside it, and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. As they were in the middle of all this depression and oppression, as they always had a tendency to do they started to take on the the false idols of, of the world of these other countries and other nations and other religions and they would often try to continue to, to serve god but they kept a, a foot on the idol they kept a hand on the idol and in this case they would have the the idol um, the asher and and statues to Baal or whatever in this case in the, in the backyard and and they would worship not only the god of, the, of yahweh god of the of the israelites but they would they would pay homage to this. And, and God would say, I, I just need to tell you something. If if we're going to have face-to-face encounters, the idol has to go. The idol has to go. And test them. he tested me. I'm going to use you, but I need to know I can trust you. And I need to know you obey me. I need to know that, that if I put it on the line you're going to obey and you're going to trust. And it's going to be in, in me that you have all your your... Your your surrender, your heart, your your homage—it's it's, it's it's still in me. And so he he puts he puts the the, the test on. I hate this, but he, he still tests us. He still wants to know from us: Are you all in with your heart? Because it's easy to get all these idols of the world to start to take the place of where God belongs. And so he he tests them in, in three ways, and he'll test you and I in these three ways. Maybe all three, maybe one of them. That first one is a spiritual test. Who, who's your bail? Who's your, who's your idol? Who's the idol in your backyard? Because it, God still says, I'm a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. So who's number one in your life? Have you, who have you put in front of God? A person, possessions, uh, money, fame, work, relationship. Sometimes good things. But what have you put in front of God? And he says, I want to test it to see where your heart is. And then the interesting thing happens in verse 27. Gideon took ten of his servants, did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than the daytime. He he goes to destroy these idols. And the, the thing that grabs me is these idols are not the idols that the Midianites put together. These are the idols built. Next week. Oh, no, no. It was just (laughs) halftime. You're going to have. You're going to have to break through all those traditions and and not be emotionally tied to something. And it's an emotional test that sometimes the traditions of our, of our nation, the traditions of our culture, the, the traditions of our family that we, we bought into the ways of the world, you're going you're gonna to be, be tested on who's the real idol there. And then this happens. In the morning when the men got up, verse 28, there was Baal, his altars just demolished, Asherah cut down, Second bull sacrificed, and they asked each other, who did this? And they carefully investigated. Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the men of the town demanded of Joash, which is who is his dad, by the way, bring out your son. He must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. There's a physical test. It cost him something. This is a culture where to, to serve God, it costs you. It might cost you your life. In America we kind of got to the point where we, we don't it doesn't cost us much. When you watch the news for a little while, though you start to recognize our world's changing, and for some people it does cost them their very life to serve God. What happens when it starts to cost you something? Are you physically really ready to pay the price? So he lays the test down. Spiritual test, emotional test, physical test. Verse thirty one, Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when someone else breaks when someone breaks down his altar. And so by the day they called Gideon Drubbel They let, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Joash, who owned the the idols, the dad of Gideon, says, "Hey, I, I'm going to learn something from my son here. Courage is kind of contagious." I'm going to learn from my son. And in fact, if Baal's so strong, let him defend himself. But I'm going to hang with I'm hanging with Gideon out here. And they start to pass the test. And then, after God's encouraged them, and after God's met with them, and after God's put them to the test, and they passed it, the power of God comes upon Gideon. And Gideon's used in an amazing way. Verse 33. All the Midianites, Amalekites... And other eastern people joined forces, crossed over the Jordan, encamped in the valley, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew a horn, he blew a trumpet, and he called everyone to arms, if you will, to get ready for the big battle. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Literally, it says, um, the Spirit clothed himself in Gideon. The Spirit clothed himself in Gideon. The power of God, the Spirit of God, came upon him to use him in an an amazing way. Here's an interesting thing that that I'm learning, and I think, I don't know that I'll ever quite get there. I always want the power of God before the tests, but it seems like it's the power of God that comes after the tests. Pass the test, you get the power of God. Fail the test, you go back to school again. Take it again. Pass the test, the power comes. Jesus, when he went into the wilderness to be tempted, the Bible in Luke 4 says he was was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. He was led by the Spirit. When he comes out of that passage, it said he comes out in the power of the Spirit. And he begins his ministry. Pass the test. The power comes. Later on, you can read that the seventh chapter of Judges. It's a great one. He calls everyone together. They're going to take on the Midianites, 135,000 Midianites. And so, he, when he when he blows a trumpet and he calls everyone to arms, here they come. And there's 32,000 Israelites show up. That's pretty exciting. You go from one in the hiding in the wine press to 32,000 ready to do battle. But there's 135,000 Midianites. It's like, oh, my goodness. God, what do you think about this? I'm kind of excited. 32,000. God says, nah. Huh? Are you crazy? You're, you're outnumbered four to one. This is not going to work. Gideon, whew, I'm glad you said that. We We need some more. God says, no, 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 no. You need less. Got too many. I tell you what, Gideon. Tell the thirty-two thousand that whoever's afraid, just go home. He makes that announcement. Twenty-two thousand turn around and go home. Now, if I was Gideon, I'd be looking for the wine press again. Is that what you meant, God? No, God. Yeah, yeah that's that's still not. That's not good. You're right. That's not good, Gideon. Still too many. Still too many. Now take them down to the to the lake. Let them get a drink of water. Watch how they drink. 9,700 of them get down on their bellies and slurp the water up. 300 of them stand on one knee and kind of lap it up like, like a dog, the Bible says, kind of drinking out of their hands. The Bible says use those guys. That's the ones you want. Now we're down to 300. Now it's 450 to 1. And God says, perfect. And Gideon says, Well, I hope you have like a nuclear bomb that you're going to be explaining to the, to the cult because this is not good. I mean, we're. And you go, Oh, I got, I got some good weapons for you. I've got a torch, I've got a clay pot, and a bugle. Give it to everyone. And we're going to take care of 135,000 Midianites. So at night, they circle around this valley, split up, light the torch, cover it with the clay pot. And at the right time, they blow the bugle, break the pot, the torches come out. The Midianites get confused and think they're surrounded by thousands and thousands of thousands and thousands of, of those attacking them. And they turn upon themselves, and in their fleeing and fighting, they, they kill one another off. The, the Israelites don't, don't even pick up a sword and watch as 100,000 100, of them destroy one another, and the rest run off. And Gideon is used to bring this great victory to the Israelites. And it's not all hunky-dory from there. There's a lot of more battles, a lot of more fighting to go on. But, but all of a sudden, they start to see God use them in a mighty way and brings them to this place of, of victory in their life. And Gideon, who thought there was no chance, becomes the one used in the greatest way. I, I wonder what, what that has for us. I just wonder what that has for you. I mean, do you do you need to see yourself like God sees you? Just a word of encouragement. That no matter your circumstances, no matter where you find yourself, that he sees potential in you. That you can be more because of who he is in your life and what you are now. And that we can be more as a church than what we would ever let circumstances tell us about. Because God believes in us. I mean, how many times do you, you hear this? you got to believe in God. you got to believe in God. you got to believe in God. And we do. We need to believe in God. But you ever let it just sink in that God believes in you? He believes in you. He believes in you so much that he sent his son to die for your sin. That you wouldn't have to be the nobody, the zero, the one who... Who who is cast away? But you can be a, a child of the King, and to be used for His purposes. Do you know that He wants to meet with you face to face? Do you know that He's not interested in your religion? He's interested in your relationship. He's not interested in the programs, the ministry. Though. Those are all good things, but if if they don't if they don't lead to to a relationship, they're for nothing. He wants to He wants to wants to have this daily talk with you that you can build an altar and the lord is your peace on a daily basis no matter the circumstances maybe you find yourself in a test maybe you're 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 compromising and you're you're questioning whether you know to to live on the values and the promises and the scripture and the and the and the principles that that god gives and Maybe you're, you know, you you want to make him king and you want to make him number one, but you've got all these competing things. Anything that competes for that is an idol. Whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical, God God wants to do a work in you that brings your heart out, that you're all in with your heart, and that test, as as tough as it may seem, is is the refining fire that brings out the best. As we get through this as a church, it's the testing times that are going to make this place stronger. It's the testing times that's going to make this an altar to where you look back and you say, this is how God worked. This is when God worked. And this is when God met us face to face. power comes when he clothes himself with you, when his spirit infills you as a person, and as a church so often we try to do it on our own and we just get tired and weary to recognize the power comes on the other side of the test get to the other side that's where his power comes I hope that there's, there's a recognition today in your life that you don't have to do it on your own power the spirit works through you that that all you gotta do is score a point and let him worry about the other 69 get 70 together.